So the way you live your life, the things you think about, the things you do, the work you do, the, it's either healing your soul and setting it free or it's hurting it. And I think at times I, I looked at Miriam last year and she looked at me and we both knew this isn't what we signed up to. This isn't what we dreamed about. It might be the dream house. It might be the dream car. It was not our dream. And I think that is where we lose focus. Society is deliberately set up to make us feel not enough. It is set up to make us feel a thing called emptiness and absence. The Buddhists have a great philosophy that there's a big difference between empty and absence. So think about you have a press in your kitchen and it's it's empty and you know it's empty and you know you've never had anything in it. And you open it tonight and you see it's empty. You've no emotional connection to it. It doesn't really bother you. But if you expected something beautiful to be in there, if you expected that some beautiful food or something incredible was going to be in there, and you waited for it all day, and now you're about to open it up, and then you open it up and there's nothing in there, there's a massive sense of disappointment. But you're looking at the same thing. In the first instance, you're looking at an empty press. In the second instance, you're looking at an empty press, but you're not, because what you experience is absence. Something is missing. And how many people do we know who live a life that has external abundance, but they'll say there's something missing. And what's missing is we're living in this constant state of absence because we expect life to be one way. We expect our job to go on. We, ex we have all of these expectations that are not really real. And when the real reality doesn't match the expectations, we judge it, we label it, and we have a sense of absence. And we're never quite happy with what we have. We're never quite happy with what's happening right now. Because in the back of our head, we have a, a fabricated idea of what it should be. And society deliberately goes out of its way to sell you a dream of striving because it needs you to believe you haven't enough and that you aren't enough. And when you haven't enough and you aren't enough, then I need something. I need somebody. I need to spend money. If everybody believes right now in the world that they both are enough and have enough, how much of the stuff that you buy would you have bought today? We only partner with companies that we really believe in and what we actually apply and practice in our daily lives. We've been wearing Vivo Barefoot shoes now for over six years and literally it's the only footwear we wear. They're offering a 15% discount to Happy Pair listeners with the code HAPPYPAIR15. And there's a 100-day money-back guarantee, so you've nothing to lose in terms of trying them. And really, if you think about it, your feet are the foundation of your movement. All your movement stems from your feet. And when you've got, within a matter of months, your feet will become 60% stronger. That's some recent studies that they found. So, and it really, it, it affects your hips, your knees, your joints. We found in our own experience that our feet have become stronger, our knees, our hips, our whole body alignment. And really, if you think about it, a lot of people put um, just standard shoes on their on their kids, which tends to restrict the movement and restrict the strength and whatever. They've got a full range of shoes for the full family. Do check them out. 100 days money back guarantee. So there's nothing to lose. The code for 15% off is happy pair 15. We couldn't recommend it more if you're interested in trying barefoots. VivoBarefoot.com. Welcome to the Happy Pair podcast. We are absolutely delighted and honoured that you clicked on this episode. Here on the Happy Pair podcast, we love to explore all aspects of health, happiness, community, connection, and really how to get more out of this one incredible experience, this one life which we have. I'm Dave, one half of the Happy Pair. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And this little lad is Ralph. 
who is dying to put the mic in his mouth. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And fascinated, just wants to touch it and hold it's it and Gav, feel it. And yeah, because I haven't been here in here with you guys in a couple of weeks and the difference between him now oh, to last time. And we just to give the context, uh, Ralph is Sarah's newborn who's about three months, four, four months, months old. old. N- nearly five. Yeah, oh, five on the 17th, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so how have you been? Great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All good. Do all you know? Good. Um, Do you know what I've done? I've yeah. signed myself up to do barista training with Raj. Oh, you did good yeah. job, Raj. Yeah. Raj be delighted. Yeah, our you friend, were a barista years ago. I know, I know. So I, I asked him. So basically, our friend Raj, who is a very, very good barista, who used to work in the hyperpair, is doing barista training, and um, I used to work in the cafe ages ago. But uh, as Raj put it, he's like, a lot has changed, Sarah. <laughs> he's like, I'm only going to start you off on the basics because I just wanted a little like go on latte art because I never was able to do that. When I worked Good in your cafe idea. before, but yeah. I'm still not the best at latte art. Are you not? Yeah. Sure, no. Stephen's the unwritten hero of latte art, isn't it? <laughs> or you are the hero. I don't know you, if I am. But I, you, you won I, that I won award. I won a competition in Dublin once. Yeah, yeah, which is gas. Quite fun. And would you, do you still drink coffee every day now? On and off. I do love the taste of it, but I try not to have it every day for just that whole, you know, I need it. I don't yeah. want to be needing things. Yeah. I found a new drink. I love a decaf oat cortado, which sounds very right on. But <laughs> so geez, I had it. Or a decaf espresso. I just love the the kind of how concentrated an espresso is. And I, I find if I drink caffeine, I'm just fucking unsufferable. So I drink decaf. Well, remember uh, Steve went through that stage um, during uh, COVID where he drank coffee every day. And we were like, oh, we can you see Steve coffee. from a mile away. <laughs> no, he doesn't <laughs> drink coffee. I don't, know, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> you're like bouncing off the walls. Uh, um, well, anyway, this week's episode, shall we run through it? Yeah. So today's episode is with the wonderful Jerry Hussey. He is an amazing man. He's a modern day sage, best-selling author, and he was our own personal coach for a couple of years. We even did a course with him, um, which is on our app, the Happy Mind course, and it gets continuously, even to this day, I get most weeks, someone says, oh, you did the Happy Mind, I love it. Love Jerry. He's amazing. He really is. He's a deeply spiritual soulful man, and you're really in for a treat here. There's so many takeaways, so many nuggets, and we found it like such a good reminder of just what's important in life and what is not. And ultimately... Like it comes back to finding more joy and finding more peace. So if you're wanting more ease, more peace, more joy in your life, stay with it. This is a really profound um, episode. So for anyone who listens to our podcast, we're going to have a 50% discount on our Happy Mind course. Don't tell anyone else. It's called, top secret. It's called Podcast 50. That's the code. It'll get you 50% off um, for the Happy Mind. That Podcast 5.0. Podca- podcast 5.0, yeah. Yeah, good one. Enjoy. How are you? Asher, great. Mighty. Mighty. And yourself, how's, the, out how's the adjustment now of having two children, Jerry? Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Sounds so what you should have fucking warned me. It was like a bomb went off in my life. <laughs> I'm going to do podcasts someday for men and women telling them don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go from one to two. We're, we're getting now the first few months, as you know, it's tough enough. And in the middle of all that, then we're moving back out to Portugal. We're here now, so... It was like this culmination of the business was was flying and rocking and rolling with two kids and buying a house, moving, and you know what? It it was great, but we're out here now with the sole focus of slowing down. So we've emptied the diary of work. Uh, I'm doing an amazing piece of education with an amazing Chinese medicine lady here. She just blows my mind. I spend a couple of hours every day with her, as well as the pra- theoretical stuff. She's working on me as well. 
and uh, and I have to live a life in a certain way, meditate a certain amount of days, do certain things, take certain type of tea, give up certain things. So it's a real, I have to just commit to it fully. And we're doing these measurements of stress hormones, uh, thyroid function, gut health, uh, cholesterol. And so for me, it's just totally immersed into sea. So it's like, Work is gone, and my 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 for the next three months it's just about slowing down, rest, recover, and see the difference it actually makes, or maybe won't make. And maybe my biggest realization after three months of this would be it actually doesn't work. So I'm totally open to either. Wow, I love the fact that you're putting it, putting you know putting it into practice. The sense of that's that desire to have space where you can connect more with your authentic self, and actually, as you often say, practice what you preach. Yeah, we have to. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year was so busy with lots of different things. Um, and there's a time in life where you are busy and you have to go for it. And it's like the, the, the farm, when when the, when the crop is ripe, you have to go and harvest it. But then there has to be a time of coming back and slowing down. And what I'm really learning from out here in the last while is we have to live with the seasons. There's a reason why everything in, the na- in, in nature is seasonal. We tend to live the same way all year round. We do the same exercise, we go to the same gym, we eat the same foods, we go to bed at the same time, we get up. And we're not actually, we know the circadian rhythms are so powerful and so important, but when it comes to seasonal, we don't really live that. So that's something that I'm really awakening to and opening to at the moment, that we have to live with seasons. Yeah, totally agree. It's inspiring to hear that you're taking the time to invest in yourself because certainly I can see it in myself and kind of go, like certainly at the phase of life when you've got young kids and a young family or you're anywhere between, I'd say, the age of 25 and 45, you're in that the furnace of life where you're trying to get ahead. Of, you know, you're just, you're working and busy trying to build a career or have a family or whatever it might be. And most of us tend to be, you know, we're obviously part of capitalism. So money and accumulating things is on most people's agenda. And I think, like, I'm curious about how you reach the point of being able to give yourself permission because there's an element of, you know, there's so much inertia as part of modern day life. And I really admire what you're doing is taking time for yourself right now and and really giving yourself the space to kind of almost reflect on what you're doing and almost go forward in another direction. And uh, Yeah, for me, you know, my life is about living with as much ease and joy as possible. And, you know, I think both of you know me well enough to know that that's my important point. I, you know, when I come from a story of 11 years old, I first thought about committing suicide. And between 11 and 14, the biggest challenge I had on any given day was not in my own life. That's the level of anxiety and stress and headaches and, 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 and backaches and just my body being out of sync, my mind being out of sync. And being brought to every doctor there was, and they were all doing the same blood tests and telling me I was perfectly healthy. And you know, the, 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 the key moment in my life was where, you know, a doctor said to my mother, you know, this is a perfectly healthy young boy. And if you want my honest opinion, he's making this up so he have to go to school. Of course, at that time, that felt like the biggest kick in the stomach because I began to believe him because he was the expert. Maybe I'm making this up. Maybe I'm weak. Maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe it's just in my head and, and I can't fix it. So it's my problem. But of course, then I didn't understand anything about anxiety. I didn't understand about the science behind the brain, the gut brain axis. I didn't understand the role that your gut plays in your mental fitness. I didn't realize that trauma stays in the body. It stays in the central nervous system and that we hold every trauma we've ever experienced unless we move it out physically. 
I didn't realize that 80% of emotion and 80% of trauma is actually held in the body, not the brain. The body holds the trauma. I started reading incredible books and I started realizing that the mind is so much more than the brain. The mind is, is, is something bigger that encompasses our skin or, or organs or our brain or gut or heart. And it's either in sync or out of sync. And if it's in sync, we're in flow state and everything slows down and we feel a feeling of joy and love and we can look at the, the sunrise and, and, and wonder at the magnificence that such a thing can happen and we can be present when we're in sync, we're at one or Zen means at one, we're just in awe of nature. And when we come out of sync through being stressed by processed food, by unresolved trauma, by being fatigued, we go into the sympathetic nervous system our immune system switches off, our, our, our gut becomes imbalanced, our brain goes out a whole brain, it goes into a state of incoherence, and we're not able to feel anything. All we feel is stress. And if, if I'm being brutally honest, lads, last year on paper, you know, I had a book that was best selling, I was doing these shows, we were selling out thousand seater venues, we've moved into our new house that was our dream house, I couldn't feel it. Why not I feel this? And later on last year, you know, the story was because you're busy, because you're moving house, these are stressful things. It's all the external world. But when I really started to reflect on my, what am I feeling? I wasn't feeling this abundance of joy and love every day. And so I started to ask myself, what in my life has become out of balance? Has my thinking become out of balance? And I remember one day walking up, you know where I live, walking up between Glass 2 and Dunleer, and I walked by the church. And for me, my faith has always been important. And this was a critical moment. I thought to myself, I'm going to go in and say a prayer. And I said, ah, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. And then I started thinking, have I lost belief in God or has he lost belief in me? When was the last time I tried to connect? When was the last time I meditated? And I suddenly realized that all of my thoughts were in the outside world. So I made myself a promise that I was going to spend a couple of months just getting back to what I know works, connection with nature, meditation, prayer, and not eating any processed food, and creating and cultivating an inner space. And last night I went out with my little boy, we were walking the beach, and I was looking at the sunset. And I was sitting having an orange juice with my little boy and I just felt my heart burst with love and joy. It was like I was just saying, this is life and this is why we're here. And I made myself another promise last night. I am not letting go of this. Not for shows, not for books, not for followers, for nothing. I'm not letting go of this. And not letting go for me means that I have to make a commitment every day to make peace and joy my number one priority. So when I look at my diary, when I look at the things I say yes to, when I look at the food I eat, when I look at the things I practice, do they demonstrate my absolute commitment to joy and peace? And I have nobody else to blame, only myself. If I hold on to that commitment, I have a good chance that joy and peace will be define my life. And if I let go, if I'm tempted, like Jesus was tempted by things and I start grabbing onto other things, 
in order to grab onto something else, it means I have to let go of something. And when you're holding joy and peace, there's very little else in the world that will tempt you. That's yeah. beautiful. Like it's, I really admire and clarity. I, uh, yeah, well, the clarity of focus, that it's joy and peace. Like it's almost like we need to be reminded of that every 15 minutes. You know, the gong needs to go off and go, hey, hey, because there seems to be so much social conditioning over the period of our lives and programming that life happens outside of ourselves and we need stuff, we need to collect stuff, whether it's things, whether it's followers, whether it's social proof, whether it's status, whatever it might be. And I'd love to, I'd love to really focus, camp out a little bit on this and this kind of how do we have evolved beyond this, this living on the outside for all this external recognition and how do we cultivate more inside ourselves a space of trust and love and peace and joy that that really is is irrelevant to what's going on on the outside because I think that's that's the that's, game that all of us well are playing. It's, it's the real success and it's contrary to modern day culture and that's that that's why I imagine even you doing what you're doing the only way you can justify it is that you lost touch with yourself. So like so many of us need a reason to go and kind of take this break or take a pause. I got sick, I got ill, I felt, you know, fragmented. I didn't feel my true self. I needed to take this break. But very few of us just randomly could just go, yeah, I need to take a break. I need to reconnect myself. And to have a family who'll support you and do it. That's wonderful. It's very brave. I'm blessed to have a wife and uh, kids are young enough and maybe they might disagree in a few years. But yeah, I'm lucky because Miriam is totally committed to this as well. And and at times she probably looked at me and I looked at her last year and said, you know, this isn't the life we dreamed about. And, uh, you know, there's a song in, in, in the, the greatest showman called The Million Dreams. I love and it. We play that all the time because if you're not pursuing your dream, what are you pursuing? You're pursuing something else. So we've always had this we play that song regularly and it's to encourage each other to follow our dreams regardless and be free to dream believe in the power of the mind and believe in the power of manifestation because I believe we're here to manifest and create but sometimes we create stuff that's actually hurting so the way you live your life the things you think about the things you do the work you do the, it's either healing your soul and setting it free or it's hurting it and I think at times I, I looked at Miriam last year and she looked at me and we both knew this isn't what we signed up to. This isn't what we dreamed about. It might be the dream house. It might be the dream car. But it's not our dream. And I think that is where we lose focus. Society is deliberately set up to make us feel not enough. It is set up to make us feel a thing called emptiness and absence. The Buddhists have a great philosophy that there's a big difference between empty and absent. So think about you have a press in your kitchen and it's it's empty and you know it's empty and you know you've never had anything in it. And you open it tonight and you see it's empty. You've no emotional connection to it. It doesn't really bother you. But if you expected something beautiful to be in there, if you expected that some beautiful food or something incredible was going to be in there, and you waited for it all day, and now you're about to open it up, and then you open it up and there's nothing in there. There's a massive sense of disappointment. But you're looking at the same thing. In the first instance, you're looking at an empty press. In the second instance, you're looking at an empty press, but you're not, because what you experience is absence. Something is missing. And how many people do we know who live a life that has external abundance? but they'll say there's something missing. And what's missing is we're living in this constant state of absence. 
because we expect life to be one way. We expect our job to go on. We, ex we have all of these expectations that are not really real. And when the real reality doesn't match the expectations, we judge it, we label it, and we have a sense of absence. And we're never quite happy with what we have. We're never quite happy with what's happening right now. Because in the back of our head, we have a, a fabricated idea of what it should be. And society deliberately goes out of its way to sell you a dream of striving because it needs you to believe you haven't enough and that you aren't enough. And when you haven't enough and you aren't enough, then I need something. I need somebody. I need to spend money. If everybody believes right now in the world that they both are enough and have enough, how much of the stuff that you buy would you have bought today? Not very as well, even when it comes to food, we don't even know what enough is. We don't even know what enough is. We're eating more food than we need. We're, we're utilizing all the resources in a way that's unsustainable because it's almost a hunger. We're starving. We're emotionally starving because we're suffering from the thing of emptiness. Totally. We, we had a great conversation last week with the professor of ecology and he talked about how fundamentally we see we no longer see ourselves as a part of nature and this separation from nature and nature has this kind of natural inflow. It just, it is. You don't go out and see a tree striving to get taller. It just does its thing. And I think that's the challenge of human life is that so many of us are striving, me included, striving to do this, to do this, to this. And how does one strike that balance between one striving or manifesting, whichever angle you want to do, but also at the same time surrendering to the will of life, the will of God, whatever, wherever you're meant to be taken, which, how does one strike a balance between that? Because you're someone right now who's moved over to Portugal with the goal of finding peace and more joy. And at the same time, you listen to million dreams because there's a million dreams that you want to achieve too. So how do you find and, that balance? And at the same time, you have a house and a mortgage. So you, you feel like there's, there is an aspect of responsibility in terms of capitalism and being able to pay the bills. And it's that, what, like, how much do you need to let go? Do you need to let go of everything? You know, because I think of myself and I go, yes, I love it. I'm all in on this, Jerry. I'm all in. I want peace and joy fundamentally. But then I go, oh, crap, like, I've got a house. I've got a wife. I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got children. And I adore them all. And, like, how do I, how do I balance all this amongst the business, which I adore? And if I focus purely on my, you know, you, like, it's just understanding... How, there must be many layers to this, and I'd love to unpack this a bit more. Yeah. And we've thrown you about five questions together. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I think personally, a deep training in society, and you know this better than we, you, we've been told what to think. We've been told what to study from the moment we go to school. We're given a curriculum and we're told what to study. We're not taught how to think. I was lucky enough that I took four years to study philosophy. And after coming out of the normal school system where you're told A versus B, you're told the answers all the time. And philosophy is just quiet. And my head was gone bananas. Where's the answer? Well, we want to be right. I want to get an A, an A in my philosophy. We need to be trained how to think, how to deconstruct information to see, is it true? Is it credible? Is it real? The amount of misinformation, the amount of mistruths, that have been propagated left, right, and center from food companies, from medicine companies, from social media companies. And we just consume because we're caught in a fight or flight mode. And our prefrontal cortex is switched off 
we just accept everything on an emotional level. We respond to everything. So the first thing is we need students and children that are trained to think clearly, to decipher information, to break it down, to understand. Secondly, we need to understand that every single human being is different. There is no such thing as a good job. So the good job for Steve is a different job to Dave, maybe. And what Dave would love doing is totally different to Jerry. But school kind of tells us there's such things as a good job. So now we have this idea that human beings are generic. So if I go to my doctor, he tells me your average 44-year-old. But am I your average 44-year-old? If you were to do my body mass index, if you were to look at my lifestyle, if you were to look at, am I average? Or are you talking to me? So now the problem is in society, we talk about generic numbers, generic people and averages, but nobody fits the average. There was a great statistic a number of years ago. The Royal Air Force number noticed that a lot of their, their airplanes were crashing and they couldn't figure out what this was for. So they retrained all the pilots. They looked at all the technology. They kept testing, testing, and the planes keep crashing. Eventually, one pilot crashed, but he managed to survive. So they had now talked. And he said, as the plane was somersaulting, as I was performing the maneuver, I went to move and I couldn't move. My knee got jammed. The cockpit is the wrong size. And they all kind of laughed for a few minutes until they asked the question, well, who decided the cockpit? The cockpit was based for the average male of that age. They lined up a thousand pilots that had signed up and been trained by the Royal Air Force. And out of the thousand pilots, not one of them fitted the average specifications. Wow. That's true. So when we look at it, all the numbers that were shown at in life about good jobs, you need to take this ninth, you need to do 10,000 steps, you need to take five milligrams of this. But who? Who are you talking to? Are you talking to average Joe, some nondescript magnolia version of a human being? Or are you talking to me? who has my dreams, my ambitions, my story, my traumas, my lived history. So the second step is we need to, we need to teach people to, to how to think, really how to decipher information, because there's a lot of stuff out there right now that we need to just cut through. The second is you got to think for me. Who am I? What do I want? What's my life about? And now we have the ability to sit with anybody from a college professor to a career guidance teacher to a doctor and say, are you talking about genetic metrics or are you talking to me? How well do you know me? Now we have people who can think and act for themselves on their own truth. And the more we become clear on who I am and what my truth is, then as long as my truth makes sense to me, I don't need you to accept it. I don't need you to believe in my beliefs. And if you choose to believe in something else or express a different truth, that's okay. We can still be friends. I've, I've a very strong Christian belief and I've lots of great friends who have absolutely no interest in religion and they think I'm nuts. But we still connect at a deep level because what, what, what makes us different is far less than what makes us the same. So we have to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Stop thinking about the average person, the average life. You're not average, you're you. 
No one has ever existed as you before and nobody will ever exist as you again. This is a one time, a once in a lifetime opportunity and you are a once in a universe phenomenon. So who are you? What is your life about? What do you dream about? What are your values? And who actually is stopping you? And deep down, the only person stopping any one of us is ourselves. And it's either a fear that we're not enough, a fear of being wrong, or a fear of perceived to be different to everybody else. They're nice. I like those fears. And how do we unpack those fears then? You know, because if you kind of go, right, well, you know, right, I'm me. I'm I'm not everyone else. I'm not average. You know, I'm, as you say, I'm once in a lifetime, except I do have an identical twin. You're 99.9. So, so I'm kind of like the same as me. I don't know if, it, well, probably, of course it doesn't <laughs> yeah. apply. We're just, yeah. uh, you know, anyway. But uh, so, so there is all these fears. And even if I take it to myself, I go, right, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of letting mom and dad down. I'm afraid of the happy pair failing. I'm afraid of, you know, there's these fears that are inherently there. I'm afraid of not being a good father and providing for my family. I'm, you know, that there's these fears. And how do, how, how do you go about unpacking them within yourself? Like that you can even doing what you're doing now, like? I think first is to go back at the major decisions you made in your life about your career, your partner, different big decisions and ask what was the main driving factor behind that? Was it love or fear? Always love. Did I make that decision because I believed the ultimate expression of myself or did I believe because it was safe it was right in front of me? Ask yourself, what did you dream of working at when you were eight years old? Is that what you're doing right now? And where along the path did possible become impossible? Who told you that was impossible? So where at times when you made big decisions, now you begin to unpack in the top five decisions I've made, it was either safety I was actually bound to, or it was my parents. And in the Hindu tradition, they talk a lot about bowing. So when they bow to each other in the Western world, we're told stands tall, shoulders, power handshake, power pose, look in the eyes. They're told to bow down, bow and touch the shoes of the person you're meeting. And when I started studying and practicing a little bit of this and this idea of bowing, what am I bowing to? Who am I bowing to? Every time I make a decision, I ask myself, to who or to what am I bowing now? Am I bowing to money? Am I bowing to fame? Am I bowing to my parents? Or am I actually bowing to my true self? and the truest expression of who I am. Because every day we're going to bow to something. So when I look back at all my big decisions, no matter what decision I've made, I ask myself, if I was back again, and if I really believed in myself, if I really was willing to put the work in, what would I have done? And I use that then as an indicator for the future. So when I'm making a new decision in the future, I ask myself, by saying yes to this, to who or what am I bowing? What will this bring into my life? And in order to have this, what do I need to let go of? If it doesn't result in me, this once in a lifetime phenomenon, who is not my, I'm not my parents, I'm not my brother, I'm not my sisters, I'm me. If it doesn't re result in me being healthier and happier, I don't do it. Then we begin to see the magic of the universe because the story society have told you is, Jesus, whatever you do, don't do something that makes you happy. You'll never make money out of that. The only way you make money is by slaving, slogging, and doing something you don't like. 
<laughs> and if you do that for 40 years and pay enough tax and make millionaires out of the banks with your mortgage, then you can retire at 60 and then you might begin to retire life. You know what? That, I have no interest in that story. What I've discovered is the more I get in rhythm with myself, the more I get into flow with who I am, the more I fill myself with joy and love, the more I do what I love in a loving way, is the more my business grows. And I have built a business. I've bought a house. I have put food on the table for my, my children by doing what I love. And if I'd stopped doing what I loved every time somebody said, that won't work, you won't make money, but how about the pension? How about the mortgage? I think deep down we all know the truth is, if you want to be really successful at something, just do what you love. And do it with passion. So the, the scary part is, if I was to leave my safe, secure job and do something that I love, how would I pay the mortgage? Well, that's, that's a socially created narrative. Because the truth might be, you might make more money than you ever dreamed of. And you might make more money than you ever could make in your current job. And the only person telling you that that's not the case is you. So to let go of something is to embrace something else. So if I let go of safety and security, if I let go of one salary, I'm just going to take another. I'm just going to pick it and away, move, away I go. And that is how manifestation works. And the difference between evolving and striving, striving is where you're desperately chasing something. And if you are desperately chasing something, it means that your happiness depends on that thing. If your happiness depends on, on a thing, then it owns you. So now you're a slave to that thing. If your happiness and if your identity doesn't belong to anything other than yourself, then nothing owns you. So detachment or non-attachment doesn't mean that we don't own anything. Of course, we can have a house and cars and it's nice to have a nice house and it's nice to have a nice car. Of course, why not? It's nice to go on nice holidays. It's nice to eat in a nice restaurant. There's nothing wrong with that. But you don't need it. And the moment you don't need it, nothing owns you. So when I say yes to something, if I am to pursue something, it's because the pursuit alone sets me free. The pursuit of the goal brings me joy, brings me love, brings me peace, brings me ambition. And whether I achieve the outcome or not doesn't really matter. What I focus on, am I the right person with the right process? Every single day, am I the right person? Am I following the right process? If we're attached to a specific outcome, then the outcome owns us. Yeah, I like to commit my life. I read the book, The Surrender Experiment, recently, and it was one of my favorite books, and I really admired the whole idea of letting go to the flow of life and kind of letting life take you, life, God, whatever you want to call it, take you to where you're meant to be, while at the same time trying to stay in alignment to your own values, but at the same time allowing life to take you where you're, where you're meant to be, if you will. But it's very challenging. Like, oh, it is so really challenging. Like, everything you've said, like, I'm, I'm totally... And I'm sure anyone listening goes, yeah, Jerry, this sounds wonderful. Be my true self. Find what I do and just love it. And don't kind of bow... You know, be aware of what you're bowing down to because, you know, 
so many of us, and I speak for myself, I, so often I'm living other people's lives. Like I'm, I'm, I've got, I'm, I've got my mom's voice on my shoulder. I'm living for Stephen. I'm living for my kid. You know, and I'm, I'm. It's coming out of fear. You know, it really is. And I'm aware of this in my own life. And I'm kind of going for anyone listening. Like, where do you start? Like, how do you start? If you've, you know, for example, all of us, all of us have dreams. All of us have visions. All of us have ideas. Like you said back to when you write your old self. It's like, geez, we dreamed of playing tennis in Wimbledon, and we were playing football. <laughs> Manchester United and we were playing rugby for Ireland and that was what we were doing we were playing golf we were winning the Ryder Cup and we were that was what it was when we were eight and I guess we're very fortunate that we do things that we love but we still also there's so much conditioning in yeah. myself I'm so aware of it in myself even that yeah. I that I just there's all these other narratives that I bow down to on a daily basis and I greatly admire your commitment to joy and peace like I think it's just so admirable and when I even say that I kind of think geez there's an aspect of monasticness or an aspect of kind of committing to the to a higher power nearly because you know most of us within the current culture which we live in it's it's all about money and followers and job and social status unbeknownst to what we're like you know you'll ask people what's, what are they, what, what's important to them and they go oh happiness of my family but then if you look at how they're spending 90% of their day it's working and hustling and and kind of almost living other people's lives and I, and I speak that for myself as much as anyone else I'm not I'm not saying I'm yeah, separate to it and I just wondered how, how do we start this process because like each one of us, we are all leaves upon the same tree and each, like, we are all interconnected. If me, myself, if I can have a better relationship myself, I will therefore influence those around us. So as humans, we can create this massive ripple effect. And I'm just wondering, how can we collectively become more, find more joy and peace within ourselves for the greater good? I, I think it's, I think it's start with the end in mind. So how, how do you build a house? First of all, you have to draw the house. You have to design it. You have to write it down. You have to be very clear. You can't just say to a builder, go, go in that field and build me a house. It might, but it mightn't be the house you want. You can't just say, I'm going to start a business. Uh, what type of business? It doesn't matter. It's just any business. Well, you don't know. So this great book that I always, I always reference, The Five Regrets of the Dying. We will die. Every single morning, you should start your day by saying, life is short. Life is too short. Time is precious. And I take nothing with me. Now that centers us. We have been given the gift of life to witness the unfolding mystery of the cosmos. To witness the unfolding mystery. But we have turned it into this intellectual desire, need to control, to predict, to understand, to use as we want. We've created this illusion that we are the masterpiece of creation. We're the most enlightened of the species. I wonder who's saying that. We're the only people who suffer the diseases we suffer, who kill and bomb each other regularly, who suffer so much anxiety. I wonder, is the tree and the plant, I wonder they're looking at us thinking we're enlightened. We have, we have totally isolated and separated ourselves from the big picture. The big picture is you have no idea how the universe came here. No doctor, no scientist, no physicist, no astronomer, no astronaut. And I've gone to the ends of the earth to find out this. They haven't a clue how we got here. They haven't a clue when the universe will end. They don't even understand the universe or how big it is or the capability of it. A number of years ago, someone wrote a science fiction book about black holes. Science fiction. And then someone said, that's, that's an idea. What if we investigated that? And then they investigated, lo and behold, there's a black hole. And the universe is more empty space than anything else. 
So we have to understand that we have to bow to the humility of the greater power. We don't really understand the things we think we do. And we get so caught up in trying to understand the tiny little things that we're missing the big picture. It's almost like if you come down in the morning, you went to bed, let's say you go to bed tonight, just before you go to bed, you clean the kitchen, you leave it nice and clean, you go upstairs. You come down in the morning and there's a big chocolate cake sitting there for you. But the house was locked, nobody came in, nobody left, the windows weren't open, the doors weren't open, but there's a cake there. At that moment, you have a choice. You can spend the rest of your life looking at the structure of the cake and the components and what was in it and then the thermodynamics of how it created and how the raisin agent rose it. And you can spend the rest of your life trying to find out more about the cake. Or you can ask, who left the cake here? Or you can, or you can just eat it, yeah. Or you could just eat it. When you look at the universe, and there's a thing called the cosmological constant of the universe. I love that line. The That's cosmological a good one. constant is the number of things that have to happen at exactly the right time in order for the universe to, to sustain its existence, for us not to go off track, for us, the universe, not to capitulate. And the second rule of thermodynamics is entropy. And entropy means that it states, it's a scientific principle that says when disorder enters a system, eventually disorder takes over, unless there is an external source that regulates it. So if there was nothing outside of this universe, disorder would have to have taken over. But the cosmological constant means that because it hasn't taken over, if you want to be completely scientific about this, it is unscientific to believe that this universe either A, created itself or B, maintains itself. It is unscientific to take either of those opinions. You are not following scientific logic because thermodynamics and entropy and the cosmological constant all point to one thing, that this universe was intelligently created and is intelligently maintained. So now it challenges the human ego to let go of control, of the need to predict, of the need to understand, and to get back into a state of gratitude and love and acceptance. Because whatever has created this universe, whatever force or flow was in this universe, whatever has that power is more powerful than we are. And we go on its journey. We can't bring it on our journey. But when you open your heart to love and you start to work from a place of gratitude and you connect with your deepest instinct, your deepest instinct is where that unknown force is alive for every moment. Call it God, call it the universe, call it pure consciousness, call it pure awareness. Your deepest instinct is the greatest knowledge there is. But most of us aren't listening to that. We're listening to a watch. We're listening to somebody else. We're listening outside. We're listening. The more I've studied this from a science, from a psychology, from a, the more I've practiced Buddhism and, uh, and Hinduism, and the more I've looked at the universal principles, they all point to the same thing. That we have to accept that we're just a tiny part of an unfolding mystery that we know so little about. And if we can't accept that, if we can't accept the fact 
that there's something greater than all of us out there. If we can't accept that ultimately we won't always understand what life is about. If we can't accept that some of us die young, some of us die early, sometimes we don't understand that. But what we can accept is we are here right now in this moment. We get to witness. And in this one short, beautiful, uncertain life, the only thing that we are certain of is that I am here right now and I get to witness this. Wow. There's, there's so much in all this, like there really is. You're touching on, it's kind of almost at a root, first of all, understanding our own significance that we are part of a system that's far greater than us as our individual ego. And it's to kind of descend from the ego into more a state of flow, if you want to call it, a state of conscious living, a state, state of, of awareness, a state of surrender, whichever way that. And for anyone listening who goes, Jerry, 100% in, how the hell does someone start connecting more into a sense of flow? And someone connecting, living their life more out of instinct as opposed to from, you know, conditioning. And please let me finish, Dave. Um, and I, sorry. <laughs> and like, how does one kind of land that, Jerry, that to kind of get into more sense of flow and more... It's, it's the hardest thing you'll do. It's the hardest thing that I've been doing for the last couple of weeks out here. Two words, slow down. In my, my book, I remember, I, I remember you guys just in my book and I said, God, I don't have a book. <laughs> I, thought, I, I, I talked a lot about the disease of distraction. And now I'm talking about the disease of fast. Everything is fast, fast meals how to do a workout in eight minutes, in 15 minutes. Everything has to be fast. Blah, blah, blah. How do I endure the maximum amount of damage in my body in 15 minutes and go away feeling good? That's just more cortisol. That's just more adrenaline. That's just more damage. The biggest challenge in life is just slow down. So I got into yoga and then I said, oh God, this is really good yoga. It gives me a good workout. It gives me a good stretch. And I was kind of justifying yoga because then the more I got into yoga, I said, this is actually about slowing down. It's about listening to myself. And now out here, I'm practicing, uh, I'm, I'm practicing these 90 minute yoga sessions. And in the 90 minutes, you do four poses and you're holding each pose for seven, eight, nine minutes. It's really slow. And the first time I went in, I was looking out at the lads in the treadmill saying, oh, I should be out there. I should be working. I'm getting nothing out of this. Until I felt the pose. And then I felt the discomfort of the pose. Then I felt the discomfort that was in my body. Then I felt the emotion that I was holding. Then I suddenly realized how much trapped emotion and trapped fear I had. And when we talk about the fascia and how emotion impacts the body and your internal organs or every internal organ is impacted by an emotion. So for me, it's about slowing down, sitting with yourself, forcing yourself to connect with yourself. Stop running, stop racing. Stop trying to do everything in 15 minutes. Make time. Make time to meet yourself. Make time to come home to yourself, to listen to your body. We look for the quick win all the time. I have a headache, quick take a headache tablet. Why not just ask why I have a headache? I have a heart pump, quick take a heart pump. Why have you a heart pump? We have all these things that we're not meant to have. The human being is an amazing healing machine. And the central nervous system is one of the greatest pharmaceutical machines there is in the world. We're born to heal. If you're not healing, you're out of balance. So what has taken you out of balance? And we've so much medica medication that will turn off the symptom. 
but it doesn't do. You can't chemically inject or chemically ingest yourself into a state of health. You have to get rid of that. And what we think is a healthcare system is a sick management system. And it only manages through surgery or chemical. So for me, slowing down is about coming home to myself. I need to meet myself every single day. And I need to connect with that force that's in the universe every day and ask, what is your will for me today? What would the greatest expression of me be today? What am I doing that's hurting myself? Where am I pushing? Where do I need to release? And for most people going into a room and sitting for 90 minutes by yourself with nobody else, I've, I have one yoga teacher that sits there and doesn't say anything to me. There's no noise, there's no music, there's no distraction. And it has become the greatest gift of my life to just sit and meet myself. And what you meet isn't always nice. It's, I start to get anxious or worried, I want to run away and distract myself. But distraction of an emotion isn't dealing with an emotion. That's just distraction or suppression. What is your deepest fear? What's the emotion you're carrying most right now? When you're alone with yourself, what do you meet? And if you really realised that life was short and you really looked at the way you're living and how you're treating your body and the stuff you're putting into your stomach and the th thoughts you think and the things you're chasing, if you really looked at it, is it bringing you joy or happiness? And that's the starting point. It's to take time to ask, who am I? What do I want? How am I living my life? What are the emotions I'm experiencing? What are the emotions I'm running from? What are the life situations I'm running from? And please don't anyone think that this new world that wants you doing everything faster, faster, quicker, quicker, quicker. Quicker is not better. And this thing that people say you need to slow down to go faster I hate it because that's kind of still implying that the only justification of slowing down is so you can speed up again it's not slow down to, to speed up it's slow down to slow down and we need to slow down in every facet of our life we need to meditate there's a reason why monks walk slowly they speak slowly there's a reason why there's a practice in every f religion about slowing down because when you slow down and you dare to move beyond the human, beyond the ego, beyond the fear, you connect to something deeper. And the moment you connect to that, there is no other way you cannot believe that there is something else in this universe. And that's our deepest fear. Our deepest fear is that we are actually connected to the greatest power in the universe and that everything you want is possible. But we don't want that because we've got so conditioned into thinking what is possible that that becomes it right and everything else, that, that's just wacko stuff. And now we know the science behind meditation. We know the science behind chanting. We know the science behind yoga. We know the science behind brain chemistry, the good brain axis. We can't choose to just ignore this. You know, I've always said in a world of information, ignorance is a choice. There's so much information on this now. Sometimes stress and illness is actually a choice. It's a choice you're making. Every morning you wake up, you've got to ask, what choice am I making today?
I hope that makes sense. But it takes so much conscious, like you need to be so aware and exactly as you're saying about slowing down because there's so much inertia in mother, modern life where, where like there's so little time to reflect. Like there's a great expression in Greystones Park, in the park in Greystones, it says a life not reflected on is a life not worth living. <clears throat> and I think there's so much power in that expression because there's so much inertia that we're just, we're moving along at such ferocity having been programmed that we need the next thing. When I get this, I'll be happy. When I get that holiday, when I, uh, when I get a house, when I get married, when I do this, when, you know, we all have these, there's, there's so much of these future orientations and what you're saying there about slowing down and focusing on the process. There's so much wisdom in the, in the slowing down piece because it's only through slowing down that I think that we can really connect to what happiness is because modern day cultural interpretation of that word happiness is more, it's more like an excitement. It's more like, oh, I'm out having drinks and we're having a party and the sun is setting and we're a full moon party and that's, and that's happiness or it's conquering a mountain or that that's happiness. But like, I think like almost that, that word is uh, certainly to me, it's almost like what we're talking about is like, it's a, it's about having a, a deeper relationship with yourself where there's peace, where there's pleasant, where there's there's more connection with yourself from an authentic point of view as opposed to happiness being, I got that car and I, I you know, I, I got some material thing or I won some prize or whatever it might be outside of yourself. Whereas I think what you're talking about is something that's much deeper, something so much more inherent that's within each one of us that is accessible to each one of us, but I think we're we're so caught up with the striving <laughs> and the conditioning, and to to actually like a lot of people come to it from when they get sick. You know, I see people who are, who, who who get some kind of disease, and they're forced to let everything go, and then they go, "Oh my God, it's been the greatest blessing ever." This sickness has because I've slowed right down, and I actually caught up with myself, and I realized that. Jesus, I was so out of sync. And like sickness is often a route to it. But I think to come about it without sickness takes so much slowing down to stop the inertia of modern culture. And and it's almost like the more we surround ourselves with other people that can slow down, the more we probably give ourselves permission with it. So it probably starts with each one of us and the influence that we can have on others. That's exactly it, because we're energy fields and we packed everybody else. If you're going in from work and you're high stressed and you're high dough and don't, you know, don't be a bit surprised that the kid's dad's going a bit crazy. And then because you're distracted and you're looking in the phone, the kid wants your attention. They know you're not getting it. They're going to keep acting up. And then suddenly it's like a, it's an orchestra. Everyone just goes, and the, energy, the, the, the frequency of the whole house goes up. When you can come in your house and you bring a frequency of calmness and suddenly the kids are a little bit quieter. It's happening here. That's, and what I would say is conscious intent. We, we live 90% of our day in an unconscious program, which means we're not thinking. Conscious is we're just recreating, replicating old thoughts, old memories, old behaviors. And the moment you're in unconscious belief, it's easy. Life is easy. Peace out, Jerry. It's not easy. I'm not telling anybody this is not easy. I tell you what easy is. Stay in a job you don't like. Stay on the medication you're on. Stay giving out about the weather. <laughs> stay earning the same money you're making. That's the easy thing. I've never once said the life I choose to live is easy, but I'm not interested in easy. I'm interested in better. And I'm interested in trying to understand to the deepest of my ability, what is, who am I, and what is my capability? So when you live with a conscious intent, now you're getting out of the unconscious programs and you're planning your day with a new intent. So you guys are great at morning routines and you know something I've learned from you as well. And really, 
and this is my morning routine. I set an intention for every day. Who do I want to be? What are my values? What am I emotionally going to attach to this day? And what am I not going to attach to? I set an intention. Every day is a new day, a day I've never lived before, a day I never get again. And in this day, I control not what happens to me, but how I choose to respond. And in that choice, in that response, is my greatest freedom. There is pain in life. I've suffered pain, you've suffered pain. Life doesn't go in the way I want it sometimes. But suffering is my choice. And suffering is the resistance of what is. The resistance of what's happened. Suffering is knowing who you want to be and what you want to do and denying yourself that. And I think that five regrets of the dying, as I said, start with in mind. When it's all over, what's going to really matter? And the five regrets of the dying is, I wish I spent less time at work. I wish I spent more time with the people I loved and told them that I loved them. I wish I cared less what other people thought about me. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. And I wish I believed in myself more. Last night with my little boy, I created a moment that I think is a parenting moment where I showed him the greatest thing that I can do in my evening is to go and have fun together. We were building castles, we were jumping off things. I was igniting his imagination. And afterwards we sat having an orange juice and I was trying to tell him, look at the sun, just look how amazing. And I hope long after I'm gone, if someone says to my little boy, what was your daddy like? I hope he says, he was loving, he was kind, and he showed me the wonder of the universe. He won't remember what the house we lived in or the car I drove. And that is my conscious intent every morning I wake up. What is it I want to leave my children with? They'll have their own houses. They'll earn their own money. But if I can teach them how to think, if I can open their mind, if I can show them the power of kindness, and if I can show them not to dismiss the presence and power of a divine force, if I can give them that in abundance, then I let everything else go. If the bank wants to take my house, take it. When I was on that beach last night, it was one of the greatest moments in my life. And I thought, what do I need for this? I could literally be living on the caravan right beside this beach, and I could still have this moment. Why didn't I have this moment last year? Because I didn't make time for it. And that's where we have to get to in life. The conscious intent what is my life? What do I choose? Who do I choose to be? And every single morning we wake up, we have to get out of the unconscious programs. And that is by shaking our biology, shaking our chemistry, it's activating the body, and then it's sitting and letting it all still. I used to be very good at getting up, getting activated, and then go straight into work. Yo, yo. But I never actually had anything. So now I get it up, and then I sit and let it fall. And I come home to myself. I meet myself every morning. And I asked myself those conscious questions. What's, what would the best version of me look like today? What would he talk about? What would he not talk about? What would he attach to? What would he not attach to? And in this incredible mission of being a dad that I've been given, what is it that I choose to leave my children with? And that's the level of consciousness that we all can have and should have. And if we're just running in unconscious programs, then we're not controlling ourselves. Society is controlling ourselves. 
It's controlling our needs, our desires, our thoughts, our actions, our intentions. And we're at the mercy of everybody else. I, th I think the irony of life is that uh, like so much of our actions tend to come out of fear. They tend to come out of some type of fear, some kind of insecurity of, you know, I want to please my parent or I want to do whatever. And the irony is that if we could, you know, just let it all go, just let it all go and accept that, well, geez, if I have to live on the street, like so be it or whatever. And the irony is that when you can connect to that place, you probably grow and become more what society says successful than you might have been just striving in your current forcing, you know, the, 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 the wheel that you're currently on. That I think it's almost like that when you let everything go, that's only then when you can actually fulfill it's, it's, I, I'm finding it difficult to articulate what no, I'm I saying I, here I, I'm going to try to say what you're saying it's like it's when you let go of all other people's ideas of who you should be what you be that you're actually surrendering to life and life takes you where you're meant to be and yeah and you probably end up being find, uh, more fulfillment and more a deeper state of success that's and less externally easy. focused with ease and peace and joy now, within I, it. I think it's important and I, I want to be clear about this too you know I have a business that makes money okay so part of my life is about making money because I need to buy a house Money doesn't buy happiness. That's thrown along a lot of the time. But the absence of money is stress. So if I can't, if I can't meet, my, you know, if I don't know where I'm going to live next month, if, if I can't pay for for, for, for health care, if I can't buy food, that's stress. So we need money to survive. It's an energy. We need a certain level. But the proof is you could break it down. Most people say, well, what would you need? I need to be able to pay my mortgage. I need to be able to have a car. I need to be able to have food on the table. I need to be able to pay for my kids' health and school needs. I say, right, if you had all that, would you be happy? Yeah, yeah, okay. How much would that cost? And would it good? And well, I've done this with, 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 a, with a few people. And you break it down and you work out a number. And what are that numbers? 25,000, 35,000, 55,000, it doesn't matter. You write down the number. And I say, right, that's the number you got to do. I say, right. If you promise me one thing, if you hit that number, will you be happy? Most people are hitting that number and still not happy. So what I'm saying is the absence of money would bring stress. I'm not saying to everyone, oh, just sell everything you own, go on the streets and just trust the universe. I don't believe in that. It's like if you're, if you're going to win the lotto, fantastic, but you've got to buy the ticket. So you've got to do the work and we all have to do the work and we need a certain amount of money. And there's no doubt that when you have money, it brings a little bit of freedom. The freedom is, I get to buy food, I get to do things. But the truth is, most people who are still hitting that number and generating that amount of money are still not happy. And they're still pursuing more, as if more of the same is going to make it. So there is a magic number, and that could be worked out fairly quickly and fairly simply, you know, based on your lifestyle, based on your needs, your financial outgoings. You hit that number. Now, how you hit that number can be done in a thousand million different ways. Most people think, oh, I can only hit that number by working in the job I'm in right now. No, that number, you could hit that number a million different ways. But you probably never thought about most. So just in terms of that, because a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, you can't just live on the streets and be happy. And I'm not saying that at all. We definitely need money. And, but if money was the reason why we're unhappy, or if the pursuit of money was then once we hit that golden number, we'd all be happy, but we're not. And the science has proven, when we look at the science of happiness, that when you hit that golden number, let's say, for instance, that number is 45,000. Let's just say for one particular person, it's 45,000. 
once you hit 45,000, you can keep pushing and you can eventually get to a point where you're making 45 million. The difference between the 45,000 and 45 million will account in the long term to 1% of your happiness. So once your financial basic needs are met, finance and physical stuff will only lead to 1% increase in happiness. That's it. That's it. No more. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing because... And the rest is largely down to our relationship with ourselves and how much we can almost trust the universe or trust faith or trust God or trust uh, nature, I, whatever. I, I external articulate force. differently. I would say the more that we have more peace and joy within ourselves that's independent of whether you get a chocolate bar or not. And that chocolate bar yeah, could yeah. be a car or a phone or a relationship or a whatever. Yeah. It's more... As I say, if, if your happiness depends on an external thing, then that external thing owns you. Yeah. I'd be happy when, I'd be happy if. The moment you say that, now you're owned by something else. Your happiness is in the hands of something else. And I think that's like so many people I work with, you know, on the outside, it looks like they have the dream life. But there's this feeling of something's missing. And maybe what's missing is that just that connection of what is life and what's your relationship with your children like and how much peace do you experience? How much joy do you experience? How much time do you get to sit and watch the sunrise? How much time do you get to just say at one o'clock in the day, that's it, I'm done, I'm going, I'm going to go home. Because some of the people who are business owners could do that, but they don't. And they said, initially said, oh, I couldn't do that. Why? And when you really break it down, it's down to permission. I couldn't give myself permission to that. What would people think? What would other people think? What if the business fell over? Well, what if the business got better if you stepped out of it? What if you were the one holding the business back? So sometimes we're actually getting in our own way and we don't even know it. And we create this need mentality. That's what the ego does. I couldn't possibly step out because everything would fall apart. Maybe it would actually fall into place if you stepped out a little bit. And that's, unless you try something, you never, you, you never know. And if you're just trying the same old thing over and over again, that is me, you're just in that unconscious program that we spoke about. To consciously create something that you don't have means that you consciously have to do something you've never done before. To consciously feel something you've never felt, you have to consciously do something you've never done before. Mm. And that's the scary part. It's stepping into the unknown, the uncertain, the unpredictable and the uncontrollable. But the certain, the predictable, and the controlled with is simply the unconscious programs. It's all you know. It's all you've had. And as long as you need predictable control of it, you'll only ever create what you've always had. Stepping fully and completely into the unknown with nothing but love and trust is the greatest challenge, but it's the greatest freedom. 100%. And when your frequency is in a place of nothing but love and trust, it is amazing what comes to you and you suddenly realize, actually, we don't you have to chase anything. It comes to us. I've no idea how, how I've created this business. Sometimes it was striving like a fool. Sometimes it was striving. I'd put my hands up and say that. But the greatest moments in my business, the greatest moments in my life have happened when I didn't even expect it where I was just being me, when I was resonating from a place of peace and joy and love and something or somebody just walked into my life. And that is what we doubt 
because we doubt that, we never risk it. And because we never risk it, we never experience it. And because we don't experience it, we don't believe in it. You can't believe in something until you step into it. And that is what we have to get beyond the human ego. We don't need to control, predict, or understand everything. We just have to, on an inside, intuitive level, know this feels right for me. And if nobody else understands it, that's okay, because you are once-in-a-lifetime phenomenon. If it feels right to you, you have to do it. I love that. What a beautiful place to land the ship, Jerry. Jeez. I, I love what you said there, the fr a frequency of love and trust. I just think of children and I just think of animals. Like, because that's, that's what they, like if I see my cats, there ain't a stressful bone in their body unless like, you know, a dog shows up or something. But they tend to be just like made of jelly and they're just absolute love and trust, except when they're, you know. Yeah. And if you look at a cat, let's say you come into the cat and you went back to the cat. The cat for a second will arch, go to defense. And then the minute the cat realizes actually there's no threat, what does it do? Shakes it all off. Just falls asleep again. <laughs> so the stress level goes up and then completely gone. But we go up and then we'd be thinking, why was he like that? Why did he say that to me? Why is he trying to attack? And then we just perpetuate our own suffering. It's like the interesting facts in the jungle with the gazelles. When a lion attacks, the stress level, and we can scientifically see the stress level of a gazelle goes right up. And then once the lion has killed and ate, because animals don't really overeat, it's only human beings that overeat. Once the gazelle knows that the lion has ate and is nourished, even standing around the lion, the gazelle's stress levels go right back down again. That's how we're meant to live. Sympathetic, parasympathetic. Sympathetic is fine for short, and I mean the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight response, the chemicals of stress and cortisol and this activated system. We're meant to spend most of our life in this parasympathetic, non-striving state. And you think of the line. I went to, I went to Africa once. I was there, thankfully, lots of different times and once on a, on a, on a safari and I was out to see these lines. I couldn't wait to see these big killer lines. And we're creeping up and then the, 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 the guide says, now, lines ahead. I was terrified. Well, I'm going to have to fight these lines. My cortisol levels were going through the roof and they're going to pounce out. They're going to attack. And then we drew up. They're lying fast asleep in the sun in the <laughs> middle of the road. Just lying asleep. And I feel totally disappointed. Like, how about these killer lions? So I said to man, like, like, why are they asleep? I said, they sleep most of the time. I said, like, are they not out killing things all the time? <laughs> no, even the lion is in the sympathetic nervous system for a tiny piece of his life. They kill them, they resleep. That is how we're meant to be. 80% of the time in your parasympathetic, non-striving state. And then there's little moments where you need that. We are the only crazy species that we reverse that. We're always in the sympathetic. We're always fighting, attacking, striving. Our immune system is switched off when we're in the sympathetic nervous system. Our gut is being dysregulated. Our brain chemistry is pumping cortisol, adrenaline, neuroadrenaline into our system. We're actively making ourselves sick. There's un undeniable science behind that. We're actually living, thinking ourselves into a state of illness. And not only are we doing that, but we're so caught up in the act of striving and pushing that we're not even enjoying it. If a gazelle can enjoy walking along in the midst of a lion, what are we worried about? 
because you can only eat one gazelle. And if you're not that gazelle, then relax. So nature has this incredible way of being switched on when they need and then just switch off. A lot to learn from nature, isn't there? You know, like everything what you say there makes me kind of go, wow, well, like nature is a different rhythm. Animals have a different rhythm. But also the thing about Young that Young children gazelle, have a different rhythm. No one teaches that gazelle, like you're all right now, the lion's eaten. Like, they but, just but, know it. And similarly, like there's the flow of life. Animals are just typically in flow of life. They're just taking what we, they're meant what to be we would say is be careful. That lion might come back. Stay alert. Stay awake. Get tough. Go train and he might come back. Like, and half the time we're preparing for a lion. It's not going to come, but but we're being pumped different threats in a house every day. Like, so there's always a war, there's always a pandemic, there's always another pandemic, there's always something about to get us, there's always something about to kill us. And don't think that's done by accident. Media have a massive question to ask here. Who, who says, who predicts, who plans what's pumped into everybody's house every evening? We're keeping people on a high state of alert because when they're in the high state of alert, the limbic brain, the amygdala switches on, the prefrontal cortex, which is your thinking brain, switches off. People go into unconscious programs. They don't analyze. They don't think. They don't question. They just accept. And now you have a bunch of non-thinking people who believe everything they're told. And that suits the consumer world. So, you know, if you terrify people, and you feed them enough of the same information over and over again, they're just going to get bad and they're just going to say, okay, 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 what do I do? And that's where we need people who have the ability to analyze, deconstruct, question, challenge, decipher, and then decide for themselves, is this for me or is this not for me? We have to be in a conscious mind. We have to be in a conscious state of awareness. And all of this fear that's been perpetuated all the time, there's always been fear. I mean, I can't ever remember a time where I turned on the nine o'clock news and said, no, actually, the world is pretty good. It's all oh, good. Just yeah. take take it easy. Go have a, go yeah. a bicky and a cup of tea there. It's all grand. <laughs> we got you covered, lads. Yeah, or, you know, they didn't tell me about the 20 things that happened good in the world today. Yeah, yeah. So that's where we then have to regularly go into the universe and just try, find, go for a walk and try find five good things. At the end of the day, list five good things that happened to me today. One good thing I saw, something, one thing that made me happy. Because there is pain in the world and there is fear and we can't deny that for a second. We can't balance it. And when we balance it, we're out of the paras- we're out of the sympathetic nervous system. It's brilliant. And the, the big thing which I've got out of the chat today is that, uh, and I'm renaming it, you called it the disease of fast, the salvation of slow. Oh, oh David. Oh. Well, you can call it what you want, but I think just that, that, that like, yeah. I guess the right. gateway to everything we've talked about is yeah. unless we slow down and actually take time to ourselves, we're just going to be living everyone else's life. But how living- do I quickly connect to myself efficiently? We just quickly meditate, Steve, and you quickly do yoga yeah. or whatever. Four-minute meditation. Now, how, about, how about a 90-second meditation? Wouldn't uh, that be amazing? That'd be even better. You just, you just pretend you're meditating. You take your picture, put it on Instagram, and get on with it. There you go. That's <laughs> and that's, I mean, for me, that's the challenge where we're out here. You go into 90, uh, 90 minutes. And my first thought was 90 minutes. God, that's a big commitment. What if I want to leave? What if I'm bored? 
Sometimes you have to set your chest to challenge and not leave. What if nothing comes up? Then great, nothing will come up. And what we're really worried about, what if what I fear comes up? Well, you, you can either let it up and deal with it and be free from it for the rest of your life, or you can, spend, you can run from it and spend the rest of your life running from it. We have to face it, to feel it, to heal it. Now, in my next book, I had a chapter, The Disease of the Vast, but it might be, what did you say there? The, the Salvation of Slow. Well, so I just think it, it it makes a positive of what it is because the disease of fast, it really just implies that like, whereas I think the but salvation... we do have a negativity bias. We do have a negativity that, bias. We'd be more drawn towards the disease of fast rather yeah, than Yeah, but the, the salvation. salvation of slow, I would think it's more like, well, we're yeah. all looking for, and salvation has a bit of a religious connotation to it, but it's more like we are all looking, like we are, we're looking for the salvation of capitalism at the moment and the salvation of money, money as a God. And busy, if busy was a currency, we'd all be feckin' billionaires. Yeah, but I think what you're talking about is about unless we slow down, we can't connect to ourselves, and unless we connect to ourselves, we can't be aware of all the fears that are actually controlling us. We are li- most of us, and I speak for myself, just speak from my own point of view. There's so much in my life. There's fear. These decisions and these actions are coming from fear. So unless I slow down and connect more to myself, I won't be aware of yeah, you know that who am I living my life for? And this will be the last. Year. I won't keep it any longer, but. Just to connect with your body, because your body holds the score. That is an incredible book. Your body holds every emotion. And every emotion is changing the shape and function of lots of things in your body. Every emotion you experience is having an impact on every organ. So we know that when we're nervous, we we need to go to the bathroom. So that's a clear indicator that our organs are impacted by emotions. But every single emotion, anger is liver. And when we look and break this down, when we look at the chi, which is the energy, we can't deny anymore that our body is an electrical system. It's an energy system. And energy, in medicine, when they want, we do an ECG on the heart, which is an energy, regular frequency. They look at brain waves. So when they want, they will look at the energy movement within the body. But we have energy and chi moving through our body all the time. And how that moves through the body is through things called meridians. And meridians connect every aspect of the body. Reflexology has, has, is one of the ways we do that. So sometimes when you look at a liver issue, is the issue in the liver? Maybe it is. Maybe it's a physical thing. Or is it something else? When we look at the balance and regulation of energy and chi throughout the body, that's where we sit in this type of yoga that makes us hold in these positions, you begin to become very aware of where your energy is blocked in your body, where there's a, a stiffness, a soreness. And if you sit into that physical stiffness, it's amazing the amount it'll trigger an emotion. Thank God. Ah, yeah, my, my, my liver, which through the meridians connect with the knees, right down to the foot. When you sit with that pain or you hold your, your hand on that place of physical pain, and you just sit with that pain for a second, it suddenly turns to the emotion. Now oh, that's the emotion. So I would just say, you know, slowing down, even to just listen to what's in your body. The amount of people that eat food and after they eat the food, they feel bloated, they feel tired, they feel sluggish. And then they just keep eating it. So the body is always trying to send you a message. It's always trying to inform you ahead of the event. 
So the event could be a diagnosis, the, it could be anything. It's always trying to send you a message ahead of the event. But if we're so busy and we're not willing to listen, the body sends a message, we're just saying, shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm going to, I'm going to run, run you out of me. I'm going to distract you out of me. The body wants you to live. The body wants to be healthy. It wants to be happy. It's constantly sending you messages. But are you sitting with the body long enough to really listen to them? It's an amazing book, The Body Holds the Score. Every thought we think, every emotion we experience impacts our body and our organs. And when we begin to bring the body, the mind, the energy, the chi and the organs into connection with each other, now we have a powerful message of what we need to do, how we need to move, what emotions we need to release. Because all the information you need is held within your all the time. Powerful. Jerry Hussey, you're a legend. Like, I feel like it's like, it's, it's so good to have these chats with you. Like, it's such a good reminder. Sermons. I only about being in Portugal is I don't get to go out and visit you more and I don't get to go out and work on the farm. That was one, one dream I had last year and I, and I said it to you and I just got too busy. And that's a commitment I'd love to make if you'd have me. Of course they would. Anytime. But I remember you were having time. your you were having your second kid in about a week's time. So I thought I that commitment was of you know, it was it wasn't gonna be a priority now <laughs> that you were having you would have had two kids under three, like Yeah. But look as you inspired me, lads, and you motivate me to keep doing the work I'm doing and keep understanding and and uh, and we, we don't agree on all things and I think that's a health thing. We've often had great chats and great conversations and ye challenge me and we might agree to disagree and I think that's that's a healthy thing we don't have to be with each other all the time um, but you know what you're doing on the farm is is important it's everything we spoke about today it's connecting people with nature you know take your shoes off connect with nature we know the science behind that put your phone away for an hour get into the earth get into great conversations and uh, so just I would continue doing what you're doing you inspire me as well and if, if between us all we can help each other to live a life of more ease and joy, if by chance that might help other people, then I think we're doing something important. Well, I'm going to start with the salvation of slow. That's my mantra. Yeah. Salvation chapter, of flow. Did I tell you that's a chapter in my book? Chapter 10. <laughs> chapter 10. <laughs> it's a great one. It's uh, one. Your second book, Jerry, you mentioned you're working on it. I'm working now. It's coming out uh, probably early next year. I'm a bit behind uh, in writing it because because the salvation is slow. Because of that, and I could have easily got stuck into writing the book and not being around for my children and not doing other stuff. But I made the decision, no, it's more important that I wait. And I'm so glad I did because reflecting on my own life experience last year is going to make the book richer. So I know I've annoyed, and you know this better than me, I've probably annoyed agents and publishers because I've been extremely slow with this. But I want this book to be right. I spent 10 years thinking about the first book and for commercial reasons, the easiest thing would be quick, just get another book out quick and, and ride the wave. I'm not interested in quick books. I'm interested in profound books that are the fullest expression of my lived experience. So this book is hopefully out early next year. That's behind schedule, but I'm lucky that publishers and, and agents have been so kind with me, but it'll be powerful and uh, it'll touch on some of what we talked about today. It is looking at the pillars of emotional freedom. How do I become emotionally free to live my own life 
on my own terms, in my own way. And even in the great uncertainty and adversity that the world contains, even within all of that, how do I live from a place of peace and joy and a frequency of love? I think the book will take some of the biggest spiritual and scientific principles and distill them down into the simple everyday, how do we do this every day? Sounds wonderful. Can't wait to read it. I might even get you to to give me a note on the cover again. Sure, of course. We'll be honoured. We'd be delighted. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck in Portugal, Jerry. This has been glorious. It really has been. And we, look, we look forward to seeing you for a decapitino. Yeah, to see you decapitino. for decapitino. exactly. Yeah, yeah, your star. Yeah. Love to love to yeah. Miriam and the kids. All right. Thanks yeah. very much. We're yeah. just going to go, go to the beach now. So God bless, lads. Cheers, Keep Jerry. Your... Yeah, mind as well. Thanks a million. Bye, bye, bye. Cheers. That was wholesome. Really was. If it, like Jerry, Jerry calls himself the soul coach, and I really feel like that was beautiful. It was like bathing in everything I needed to hear. It was like a personal, a message. As Stephen said, there was a personal message to each of us. It was beautiful. Yeah, nice and reminder. I hope it had huge meaning to you as well. But um, I think the big thing I'm taking home um, is just the salvation is slow. Yeah. Well, slowing down, just the importance of and how it's an act of rebellion in modern day common culture. Uh, and then a huge thing I got from, like I loved that he talked about the five regrets of the dying because those like you know I, I wish I could live my life for myself like because oh, so many like and I just think of myself how often I'm do I've got mom's voice in my head or I've got your voice but, but the same responsibility just, just to challenge that concept you know you sp- spoke last week to Matthias Schutten and he talked about in an ecosystem the most the most um, fittest of any species is the one that connects most and the, the one that has the ability to to you know collaborate most so I, I just challenge that, that there's no one way uh, obviously, but certainly today's conversation reminds me most of just slowing down and really understanding what you're acting from because so much of, I, I and I see it myself, so much is coming from a point of fear and insecurity at the deepest root, you know, it might not appear it because, you know, but at the deepest root, it's kind of going, I'm, oh, sh-, like, you know, we need to, the business needs to be successful because mom and dad wanted to be successful and I've got to be, and I don't want to let Steve down and I don't want to, and it's, it's just, it's amazing when you, when it, and I, I'm going to take time and reflect and write on these. Anyway, I'm going to shut up waffling about me. I hope you really enjoyed that. Uh, Jerry's wonderful. Do check him out. Um, he's got a number. His, his website is soulspace.ie and Jerry Hussey, uh, uh, he's on Instagram and on everything. His first book, Awaken the God Within or Awaken the Power Within. Awaken the Power Within. Wonderful book. Uh, we read it before it came out and it, was, it really is a hugely impactful book. Glorious human, as I'm sure you've heard. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We really appreciate your time and your attention. Obviously, could have done loads of other things with this and wishing you a wonderful day. And here's to slowing down. Yeah. Thanks. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.